Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One thing we don't want is for people to look at us and feel pity for us. I think every challenge that we went through through our life just made us more resilient and it's, you know, made us into the women we are today. What matters most? It's different for everyone. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. Today's guests have been besties since they met as African refugees about 20 years ago. They both had remarkable lives and are not afraid to take on new challenges. The most recent being the amazing Race Australia. Milana Jung and Tina Quick, welcome to Short Black. G'day, ladies. G'day. G'day. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Oh, look, it's a pleasure. It's lovely to meet you in person. You've both got incredible stories and you've been friends for 20 years. Did you really meet in a refugee camp 20 years ago? Yes, we've had such a long friendship. We've known each other 20 plus years. Tina's actually my, one of my oldest friends. I'm your oldest friend. <laughs> okay, actually, you're my oldest friend. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we actually met in Kenya, Nairobi, Kenya. Both our families um, had fled there and that's where Tina and I met. Yeah, and shortly afterwards, uh, we, we both moved to Australia, which was really great. Did you move to Australia together or you just happened to find out that you were both here? <laughs> well, actually, we just happened to find out that we were both here. Mm-hmm. So my family m- moved to Australia. I was nine years, we were both nine years old. It was in the same year, but we moved first. And, you know, we were actually quite sad because we thought we, we would never see each other again. And, you know, I was excited for my new life in Australia, but I was really going to miss my friend. But a couple of months later... Malang and her family also moved to Melbourne. Yeah, so. it was literally just by chance and we were just so like over the moon and like so happy that we were able to like be together in another new country and it was like another new journey together. Yes. <laughs> it's really hard to imagine what it must have been like. What are your memories like? You know, how vivid is that time when you first arrived here? Yeah, actually, I remember it so well because we arrived during winter and I had never experienced such cold weather in my entire life. <laughs> so I remember that so well. I remember um, landing at the airport and just realizing, wow, why, why are we? I, I, honestly, I didn't really know why we were here, but I was just like, why are we being punished by coming to this cold country? <laughs> so that was my first initial reaction. I was like, no, I don't want this. It's going to be like this cold, then I don't want it. Let's go back. (laughs) What about you, Tina? I had the opposite experience. We came in summer and I just remember thinking like, it's almost 9pm and there's sun outside. Like it's not dark yet. Like what what is this strange place? Because you you don't have daylight savings back in in, in Kenya Kenya or in South Sudan. So it was quite a strange experience to to be out at 9pm and the sun was still up. And how long do you think it took you to feel like you could call Australia home? I think for us it happened relatively quickly because mm-hmm. we, we did so we did speak English before we arrived and we had each other as well and, and we yeah. had our families. So yeah. I think that's the most important thing. If you have a good support system and you come into a new country and plus you see 
a lot of the West, like, you know. Yeah, we've already seen it on TV. We knew exactly what we're getting ourselves into. (laughs) And also, I think it helps that both both of us are very friendly and chatty. And and kids are really welcoming as well. So, yeah, it was a really good age to, um, I don't know, assimilate to a new culture or go to a different country. So, yeah. Yeah. So, we made friends quite quickly in primary school. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, it does get harder as you sort of hit those teenage years. Yeah, definitely. um, Yeah, and you sort of start to see the differences between you and other people and you become a little bit more aware of the world that you in which you live but mm. um at first i think it was just a good time yeah i agree i had the best childhood <laughs> yeah i think a lot of australians are quite concerned about the reception refugees get when they come to australia and we'd like to think everyone was really welcoming but we know that's not necessarily the case so it's nice to hear that you had a relatively good experience but when you look back at your journey you sort of indicated then that those teenage years are often the hardest are they I know I struggled, particularly being a South Sudanese, born in Khartoum, lived in Nigeria, then Kenya, moving to Australia. I think mm-hmm. you sort of lose a sense of who you are. When you go home, you're very much South Sudanese. And when you leave the house, you know, you, you want to fit in. You want to be like all the other Aussie kids, you know. And it's, it's, yeah. it's a really tough time trying to, yeah, trying to figure out who you are and trying to figure out your own identity. And so I think that's some of the challenges we face. Well, so many Australians know who you are now after the amazing race. Now, you've been great friends, but this is a colossal decision to challenge yourself like never before. National television, what drew you to this sort of competition and um, made you decide you wanted to be a part of it? (laughs) It was all me. (laughs) No, Tina and I have such a great um, friendship. We get along really well. We never bicker. We've never fought. So I thought, what better way to challenge our friendship than to go on national TV and see what it would be like to be how would we behave under different pressure and different circumstances. But I knew it would be fine because we've traveled before together and it was great. And that was like our first little experience of like what it would be like to be on the race because we had a few missed trains, a few missed flights. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when I saw the opportunity, I actually told Tina, I'm like, hey, this would be great for you and your partner. And um, I said, there's no way I'm doing this with anyone else but you. So <laughs> <laughs> Sam, who's, who's my fiance, can step aside for this one. It's me and Milan. <laughs> What do you think were your strengths as a team? I think the fact that we've been friends for a long time and the fact that I'm really good at reading Milan's energy. So I sort of know, I can sense when, like, how far we can push each other. I think mm. that was really good. And um, and you could also see with a lot of people in the race, you know, it, it, there was a lot of clashing and we, we barely had any of those. And I think that's because we were constantly in sync and that yeah. helped us quite a lot. We're also quite physically fit. We are South Sudanese, so we're quite tall and <laughs> Yes. And we can run very, very light. I know, it's a physical strength a lot, <laughs> yeah. which helped. Yeah, we just kept saying, I hope this is a foot race. I hope this, this is a foot race. race. <laughs> Both of you have extraordinarily long legs, which I'm very jealous of, I might add. <laughs> Any surprises in the show that you discovered about yourself and about the competition itself? Oh, definitely, definitely. I kept saying to Milan, I was humbled by this place. Yeah. I went in thinking, oh, this is going to be easy. Gonna be we're going to smash we're gonna this. We're going to smash this. <laughs> we're fit, you know, we're, we're good together. And, you know, it, it will surprise you. The challenges are quite challenging. Yeah. But, you know, once you get into the rhythm of it, it's mm. quite good. You also need to be quite wary about getting from one location to the next because we did get lost quite a bit. But uh, yeah. it's it, it is challenging. I think it's it's hard to to know until you sort of go through that experience. So yeah. I was definitely humbled by that, by, by it. I pushed myself harder than I thought I would need to. I sort of went in there thinking, you know, 
We're definitely not the underdogs, but <laughs> we, it was, it was otherwise. we didn't even think we were underdogs. We just thought we would be like the top team. <laughs> What's the reaction been like to your experience on the show? It's been absolutely, like incredible. watching myself back has been quite incredible. The support we received, not only from our family and friends, but yes. from the wider South Sudanese Australian community yeah. has just been, been just so phenomenal. I think for us going in, we did it for us. We, we just mm. wanted to do something different where... It was an adventure. It was going to be a fun time. But I think the magnitude and, 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 and the, the way people are feeling so proud that they're being represented on TV hadn't crossed our mind. Yeah, like we're, we're really quite happy by that. And I just hope we did do them proud. And yeah, I think at the time going in, it was just a fun thing to it do. It was generally just for us. And then once we quickly realized, wow, this is something that's really bigger than us, we're just like, it's oh so my much goodness, bigger than us. Yeah. Everyone, like, every, and not just... Not mainly from Australia, yeah. but also from the diaspora, just being really, really proud mm-hmm. to see us, you know, in on the amazing race. Australia, I think it's not I think it's not something that they had seen before. Yeah, so. and we've received really lovely messages from random people who wouldn't even know and like even young girls saying, Wow, it was so nice seeing you guys on TV or seeing someone like me on TV. Yeah, it's something that's really bigger than us. Yeah, I think your personalities are so infectious. Your smiles are gorgeous. You're both gorgeous-looking girls. It's not about just appearance, but it does help to have these infectious, friendly, warm faces who speak like us, just don't, you know, look like your typical Caucasian Australian. And what's typical anymore? There is no typical, is there? Exactly. And I think what was really important for us and why we were so adamant to just go there and just be our whole selves was we really just wanted people to just see us as just us, you know, like we're just two friends who Mm -hmm. moved to Australia when we're nine. Like we're just two Aussie girls who happen to have been born in South Sudan, you know. We have, you know, whatever experiences that we had been to before coming here, but we're, we're just, we're here, we're Aussie girls, we're just happy to explore our own backyards. And I think just sort of portraying that was really important for us. So you two, what was the hardest thing about the race? The hardest thing about the race would have to be that we were not mentally prepared for um, how exhausting it really is to... And yeah. Absolutely horrible. Like, not horrible, but we're really fit. I think we knew we were physically fit, but just mentally, I think if you're waking up like first thing in the morning, four Mm -hmm. o'clock, and then you're just nonstop the whole day. And you don't know when your next um, meal is. is. You You don't don't know when when the next rest stop is. Yeah. And when you're, particularly for us, because we were playing catch up quite a bit. So we were constantly just like, no time for this. Just go, go, go. So I think that was quite hard and it could have probably helped us mentally. We just took a step back and said, hey, let's just reset and, you know, take a breather for five minutes and, and keep going. Now, look, all friends have their moments where they irritate each other. I don't believe there wasn't a single second on this amazing race where you both didn't want to slap each other and say, come on, stop being so annoying. It definitely so- happened. Oh, my God, it <laughs> happened on the first leg. <laughs> so we had one moment, because Milan hates frogs or anything like that. We had one challenge where we had to pick up cane toads and put them into this box. So I went in and was pretty much doing everything and all she had to do was count them. But she stood two metres away from the box just screaming and I was literally like, are you serious right now? <laughs> like, I'm doing all of this, like, we need to go, just count it. And I had to 
I got it wrong, obviously, that we got the numbers wrong and I had to redo it again by okay. myself this time. I literally just could not help Tina. I just, I literally told everyone I don't like reptiles, I don't like frogs or snakes. And the first challenge we had was to do <laughs> with cane toads. I just screamed the entire time. Tina had to take this one for the team. <laughs> I watched you, Milan, and I'm with you. There is no way I would ever touch a cane toad. And I couldn't believe, Tina, your courage to just jump in and say, let's do this, come on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a fan of toads, but you got to do what you got to do. 250,000 in the line. <laughs> so you took one for the team. And, and did you repay the favour, Milan? Oh, I did. I did repay the favour. Tina um, has uh, does not like eating um nasty things or yeah or anything at all really (laughs) (laughs) so there was a time where I just had to take one for the team and did my part (laughs) (laughs) yes and you did do quite a bit of the challenges all right what about your favorite part of the race my favorite part would have to be Palm Island I agree with you 100%. Beautiful. The most beautiful place I've ever been. And you would not think you're in Australia yes, because yes. it was just, uh, it was just the out culture, of this world. The serenity, the beaches. And I think it was also one of those moments when we actually decided, okay, we, after this race, we really need to travel this country, you know, because it's just right far, far up note. The people were just lovely and mm. it was just absolutely, absolutely incredible. Like so beautiful. North Queensland is quite unique, isn't it? I mean, you're talking to a Queenslander. It is, it is. And I think one thing I really appreciated about the race as well was we got a welcome to country almost at the start of every leg, everywhere we went to. And I I found that to be really quite important. And we got quite emotional. really feeling connected to the people there and feeling really welcomed. It was was quite nice, I think. And I think it's quite similar to to our cultures as well. And I think why um, Palm Island was so special to us was we also got the walk in the country that morning and the elder that presented it just reminded us so much of like our parents, our grandparents, and we just yeah. like bowled our eyes out. And yeah, it yeah. was just really, really special because culture is something that's so um, important to us. And it was just like a, a reminder of who we are and where we are and where we're going. And we really felt really welcomed. Yeah, it's a really, I mean, I personally love the Welcome to Country. And it's lovely that it's been showcased on the show, but also that it meant so much to you too. I think that's just a really lovely side note. Yeah, that's something we'll definitely take on for the rest of our lives. It's beautiful. It's a good reminder. And also because it wasn't something we would be able to do by ourselves if we weren't on the race. We'll not all love the way up in Palm Island, you know. know, So I think just actually being there on country and and, and hearing someone say, you know, I welcome you, our ancestors welcome you. It was was quite emotional for for us. It was... uh, We felt really, really proud to be Australian and to be there and to be on the race. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Well, let's move away from the amazing race for a minute and go back to the early days before you came to Australia. Can you tell me what life was like? I think what our parents did really well for us was really try and keep us sheltered to 
I guess, the reality of the life, I guess, we were living in. The reason why we were moving quite a lot was because we had to flee a civil war and we were trying to find somewhere that was safe and secure. And our parents were quite adamant that they wanted us to have a better life and they wanted to make sure that we could have all the opportunities you know, that, that they could sort of provide for us. So when you're quite young, it's hard to understand that. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we, 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 keep, we often think about how happy we were when we were younger. And it's only as adults that we sort of start looking back and think about how hard it must have been for our parents to, to try and you know, put on a brave face when they're you know, really out there trying to survive. So I have a really great admiration for my mother and, and my father and as yeah. for your grandmother. I want to the same, yeah. Because of, the, I guess, the hard time that we were living through, but then the sheltered life that they provided to us. I never felt disadvantaged at all. Yeah, me too. Have they shared with you some of those difficulties um, now that you're older and, and able to deal with the realities you were sheltered from? Not so much. I think we have moments. I think because we're in such a good place now, you know, Malang and I, I think we, I would consider ourselves, you know, we're doing quite well mm. ourselves now. We've really made it. You know, we're able to get a really good education. We're able to make a really good life for ourselves. We, you know, and we did all that to make our parents proud. Yeah. So sometimes it's almost like a distant memory. We have family moments where we look back on it. But it's never... I don't think a negative thing. You know, the one thing we don't want is for people to look at us and feel pity for us, feel sorry for us. I think every challenge that we went through through our life just made us more resilient and it's, you know, made us into the women we are today, which is strong, confident women who feel like we can take over anything that life throws at us. And that's exactly what our parents wanted for us. Yeah. Our parents never wanted us to feel disadvantaged in any way. They always wanted us to be confident and to be able to take on any life's challenges and to really just... Um, make a life for ourselves and be happy, you know. And what a life you two have made for yourselves. Tina, public servant now, senior policy advisor in Melbourne. You went to ANU at 16 and by 21 graduated with a Master's in Applied Anthropology and Participatory Development. Milan, you were headhunted and signed to the Ford Model Agencies in New York. You were scouted in your final year of high school. I mean, these are pinch-yourself moments, aren't they? (laughs) Definitely pinch-yourself moments. (laughs) Yeah, we had a lot of motivation. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we just wanted to make everyone proud. So, Milan, are you still modelling? Yes, I'm still modelling. I started when I was quite young. So at the time when I started, I didn't necessarily uh, put my all into it. Because I was still in high school, I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. I never wanted to be a model. I actually just got scouted and I've always been encouraged to do it because they thought I had the look. And so I was like, why not? I'll give it a go. And thank goodness I gave it a go because I um, got the chance to travel the world and meet new people and do things that I probably would have never been able to do. It definitely also brought me out of my shelter. I was quite shy growing up and now I'm like, I feel more confident and I can just be in a room and have a chat with anybody. Nowadays, I'm still modeling. I'm actually able to model full time now because this, and I can, and I'm able to model here at home because for a long time, the um, Australian in- modeling industry was not open to diverse faces. And so um, I found most of my work overseas. But that's changed a lot, hasn't it? Oh, it has changed a lot, especially in the um, past two years. We're finally getting to see different faces of Australians. And I'm one of them. And so I'm able to say I'm a full-time model now and work has been really, really great. And I'm just so happy to be home, not having to leave home to go and model somewhere else or around the world and be away from my family. 
How hard was it in the early days getting noticed because of your skin colour? It was extremely hard because at that time, every agency only had one dark skin model. And for you to go to an agency and they tell you that, hey, we already have your look. It's like, what is my look? What do you mean by that? And when you look at their books, there's um, 50 blondes. So there's like 50 brunettes. And there's only one dark skin model there. And you just look at them and it's like, no, they don't look like me. I look different. That was just how it was back then. Thankfully, now that has changed and it's continuing to change. And hopefully um, we'll see different shades of dark skin models. I mean, you carry a bit of a load, don't you, and a responsibility in some senses, because if there's only a few dark skin models on the books, there's a greater expectation about, you know, how you carry yourself, how you conduct yourself. Do you feel that pressure? Um, definitely, 100%. Um, just because of the image has been portrayed of what dark skin models are or how they behave. And so I've always tried to stay true to myself and not let myself be in situations where I would be uncomfortable or I would feel that I can't speak up. But unfortunately, there has been those moments, but I just, I just knew better. And I knew that I was not only just representing myself, but also representing a whole community. And I've, um, I've just always been raised to always like, just change the narrative and like always show the best side of you. Yeah. yeah. And I feel we feel that pressure in everyday life. Yeah. yeah. So I just say <laughs> everywhere, particularly being started in Australia, I think everywhere you go, you sort of have to feel like, okay. And especially when you're the first one to do something, mm. you always sort of have that baggage of, okay, am I going to open more doors for others like me or is my behaviour going to mean they don't want more, you know? So I think you kind of live through that on a daily daily basis. basis, As I said, it is changing and it's not constant, but it's just the reality of things sometimes. So, Tina, you were running for council for Melbourne City Council on Sally Cap's ticket. So you've got political ambitions. <laughs> Let me not say too much. <laughs> but, yes, no, I did run on Sally Cap's ticket and um, around the same time as, as, as the race. And, yeah, definitely, I just feel so happy and so, so, so proud to be in Australia and to live in Melbourne. I think it's a city that really took us in and a really good way to give back, and I feel, to give back to Melbourne, to give back to Australia is to, you know, to work in public office, you know. So, you know, run for council, you know, get really involved. Anything I can do to be a part of, I guess, the city and, and to give back, I'd, I'd be happy to. Outside of your work with Victorian government as an advisor, you set up Kazi Victoria to help migrants in the employment space. Um, what a great idea. What's the reaction and response been like? It's been really, really great. I think I always sort of say to people I stumbled into setting up Kazi Victoria. I was in an interesting cab ride with a man from Ethiopia who came here. He had qualifications. He had worked for NGOs in the corporate sector in East Africa, but he found it really hard to find professional employment when he moved here. And so I found that quite interesting. And I think a few days later, I I met a similar person. And so I ended up doing a survey of university-educated African migrants who had arrived in Australia five years prior and had, you know, permits to work and everything. And to just understand what the links between the qualifications to hold and the jobs that they were working in. And overwhelmingly, I found that people were overqualified for most of their roles. You know, I had a woman who knew, uh, who had a master's in international development, and she was, you know, working in a position that only required a certificate three. So going into that, I sort of looked at the reasons as to why that was happening. There's obviously, you know, other systemic issues, but then in a lot of the cases, there was also just practical issues that I felt that there was a space there for me to address. So now with CASA, we provide free training on 
writing resumes, preparing for interviews, behavioural style questions, things like that that you don't really get exposed to in other parts of the world. So they're quite big selection criteria, which are quite big here in Australia. Just try and close that gap a little bit. And it's gone really well. It is something as simple as having a resume and the right resume to work in the space. So those simple barriers are actually significant, aren't they? They're so significant. You know, there's one lady who had 20 years of experience in the, uh, before arriving. I think she had like an eight-page resume. We cut that down to about two pages and she was able to get a job. So it's really just um, understanding the context in which you're searching for a job and learning how to tailor it for, for a particular role. It's not just put everything, put the right thing. And so walking people through those steps and helping them understand the Australian job market, I think has made a really big difference. And so that's what I was aiming to do through Kazi. Um, I don't work in HR. It's not my, you know, it's not anything that I planned to do. I think I just did it because I saw that there was a gap um, within the community and they really needed that help. And, and I did it. And now we're part of, you know, 300 people attend our three workshops. Well, clearly there is a gap. I know in my life I come across so many new Australians who seem overqualified for the job they're doing, and yet they can't seem to cut through to build that network and get the job they're qualified for. What are the ongoing barriers? It's not necessarily language. It's not always the CV. What else might it be? I think just having the professional networks. I think when you grow up in a certain place, you don't, I guess, value or appreciate what you have access to. And a lot of new migrants don't have access to a lot of things. You know, they don't have access to like the childhood networks or an understanding of the pathways and, and all of these things. So I think by creating a space where you can actually really walk through people in a really practical sense, like what their options actually are, I think that really, that really, really helps. For example, I got into a grad program, but if I wasn't living in Canberra, I wouldn't have known that there was, you know, the government does grad program, graduate programs for nearly, you know, for nearly students who have just graduated. So it's just really, sometimes it can be as simple as that. That's not to say there aren't other sort of systemic issues, but I think I like to focus on what can I do and what practical things can I do to sort of fix or help the next person, you know. And what changes have you seen in people since you started Kazi Victoria? I think just the confidence in that, okay, I'm doing the right thing or I'm not doing the right thing and this is how I can change it. I think what you once you start getting rejected the 20th, 30 time, people start to lose a bit of resilience. You kind of get demoralised. So at the end of each workshop, we also have a session around talking about uh, different experiences so you can see that, okay, it's not just me and maybe it's not about the fact that I'm a migrant or whatever it is. And just having that sense of community with others, understanding that it's tough for everyone. It's tough for anyone, regardless of where you're from or whether you're born here or not. It is hard finding your job, particularly when it's your first job out of uni. Like I struggled too. Creating a space where people can help each other out. I think that's one aspect that I hadn't actually planned on. I was sort of focusing on the workshops, but I think just having that little bit at the end where we can network and and, and provide support for each other has been really quite, um, really quite great. Look, racial discrimination is a hot topic. So I have to ask you, do you think Australia has a problem with racial discrimination? I think Australia can sometimes have, and as a whole, sometimes have a problem in the way they portray particular races. And I'm obviously speaking about this from a point of like personal experience as a South Sudanese Australian. And I don't think you have to look really far to see how South Sudanese Australians have been portrayed, particularly in the um, mainstream yeah. media. And I think, you know, people do things and put out statements and articles for whatever reasons, but don't realise that there's long-term effects to that. Right. So even us, since we've left the race, we've had some comments, you know, on our social media saying, oh, these are the Sudanese gang members of Melbourne, you know, yeah. which is just so far from who we are. 
so far from who we are. We're nothing like that, you know, and it's, it's really quite disappointing. I never thought that I'd be a target of something Me like too. that. <laughs> so I was a little bit shook when I saw that. But, you know, I just, I let it just roll off my back, I suppose. Yeah, look, I think there's trolls in every game and it doesn't matter who you are, you know, what you look like or where you're from. People aren't going to like you for whatever reason. I think talking about it helps us heal. Talking about it forces us to deal with it. Would you agree? Definitely, definitely. I think people have a difficulty talking about these things because as soon as you start talking about it, they think maybe you're somehow accusing them of something. But when really, I think definitely just having a conversation about anything is definitely the right part to feeling. Yeah, I agree as well. And just communicating and also even making your circle of friends a little bit more diverse. That way you can learn about different cultures and why people behave a certain way. It's just a, it's all a learning process and it's a whole, and it's a learning process for all of us. Yeah, we were quite lucky because obviously we've grown up in so many different cultures, so it comes mm-hmm. a little bit more naturally to us. But, um, you know, I can appreciate that it's not always the case to others. And I think just being anti-racial discrimination is like not enough. Like you have to do more. You have to be more proactive about these issues. How have you guys dealt with the trolling then? I just call it out and that's it. I, you know... I mean, you can't respond to everyone, but, you know, there's certain ones where I feel like, is this an opportunity where I can educate someone on this? Then I'll take it. If not, I leave it. I mean, we know that's not who we are, so I don't think I take anything to heart. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's been such a joy to watch you on the show, but I actually love the story behind you two in this show. I love the fact that the show is, is showcasing so many Australians from you know diverse backgrounds, and that's really important. It's become a really important part of the discourse in Australia to say there is no normal anymore. There is no look that defines who we are. I mean, we are a mixing pot of so many interesting cultures. But when you think about, gosh, I'm a Sudanese Australian, there was a funny moment in the show recently where you'd finally worked out what the term dunny meant. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had... No. <laughs> oh, well, we weren't sure. We, I, I think at first we said maybe it was. Yeah, we just weren't sure. And I knew it was an Australian slang. And also we knew we were going to the outback. We were going to learn some Aussie slangs. We were all going to be two Aussie girls. And we didn't know what a dunny was. It was quite hilarious. (laughs) It was the first clue. We're like, yep, we're ready. And you read it and you're like, what? You're doing what with what? And instead of dunny derby. And then that's when I started thinking maybe it's a horse or something to do with a horse. Yes, well, now we know, and we weren't too pleased, I'll tell you, Yeah. <laughs> when we found out what we were doing. <laughs> Anything else you learned on the show about being an Australian that you didn't know before you started? Yeah, well, we learned what a tinny was. A tinny, <laughs> and we learned other Aussie slang. We can't probably say. Something about spiders. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we learned what a tinny was. What about the rhyming slang? It's quite peculiar to Australia, isn't it? Which rhyming slang? You know, so if I wanted to say, um, I, I need to get a cab, I might say, I need to get a Sandy Crab or a Jack McNabb. Oh, see, oh you're teaching goodness. us from my <laughs> <laughs> I had not heard that. I'm learning so much. Yeah. See, we're city girls. We're yeah. just of it. <laughs> but I think this, this is telling us we really need to go out more. Yeah. Well, clearly, you're both impressive young women, and uh, it's been an outstanding opportunity to spend some time with you both. Wishing you the best of luck in all your endeavours. Milana, look forward to seeing you on magazine covers and all sorts of things. 
And uh, Tina in the higher echelons of office around the country, Victoria first, the world next. Thanks for sharing some time with us here at Short Black. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. You have been listening to Short Black, a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. To make sure you don't miss any of our great chats, subscribe in your favourite podcast app. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.